How to Survive Death March Projects Part Number Three. Welcome to Episode Forty One. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host Georg Lora, and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. You get know-how tools, processes, and more surplus information. Or in a nutshell, I give you my best for your success in embedded systems projects. And here we are with the third and last part of how to survive deathmatch projects. For all the guys jumping directly on this episode, it's of course possible to follow this episode without having heard the previous episodes. However, it would make much more sense to start with episode 37 and then listen to the full sequence in a row. In episode 37, we have talked about how to define and detect deathmatch projects and about your decision whether to leave or stay. In episode 39, we have tackled this kind or the kind of actions you will face if you want to bring such a project to a good end. We have talked about politics and negotiations, about the regional parts and also about games in negotiations, and how to identify acceptable trade-offs or what to do if all negotiations fail. In episode 40, we were talking about people, how to hire for deathmatch projects, how to achieve loyalty, commitment and accountability, and the major aspects of communication and team building. Finally, I'll bring you today some very important processes you should know if you find yourself in a deathmatch project. And I wanted to highlight tools and technologies which might become handsome for the success of your deathmatch project. As always, you find the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 41. Let's jump right in and find out. And now stay tuned and be inspired. Okay, here is the deal. First of all, we are focusing on processes and the most important process you have at your fingertips if you are dealing with deathmatch project is the concept of triage. Or it's a French word, it's le triage. It's not only some kind of selection, but if we have a look into some kind of, of dictionary or encyclopedia, we, we find two definitions. First of all, triage means what you sort injured people into groups based on their need for, uh, for or likely benefit from immediate medical treatment. Or second definition, triage means a system used to, to allocate a scarce commodity only to those capable of deriving their greatest benefit from it. Um, first of all, the first definition is not in our focus yet. That was something I already mentioned in the, one of the previous episodes about uh, World War I, that this kind of sorting out of medical injuries and uh, uh, evaluating persons into different groups for medical treatment is something which is out of our focus, but of course it's a quite, yeah, it's a historical approach and it's known for, for centuries already how, how this could be done. But I want to focus on the second one. So how to allocate a scarce commodity that we achieve greatest benefit from it. So the main thing is to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. So that means we are regularly in, uh, in deathmatch projects, we are facing that there is a waste of time, energy and resources very often caused simply due to the fact that we are implementing things which are not effectively needed. We are, for example, implementing sexy things, things we like to have, things we are keen on, and, for example, also things that, yeah, 
it's 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 in to do that. It's something like oh, you have to do that, or a good engineer will do it, or a good hacker will work like that, like that way. So you are implementing things which are, from your perspective, essential, but not necessarily from the project's perspective. The reason for this kind of waste is regularly in uh, to be found in things like what we have an assumption that we will do it in time. So. Simply the fact that we are facing some kind of limitation of time does not mean that we reduce the implementation. But it's simply like we are still assuming if we will do the job, no problem. And there is also very often the assumption that finally there will be some kind of miracle finishing everything. I very often observe that the guys are working two, two weeks up to the front of the milestone as there is nothing happening in two weeks. And then suddenly there is a big rush and then suddenly everybody is in, in a rage and everybody is hurrying up. And so, and it looks like we have simply forgotten the three months before. And there is very often also a reason for the ways that there is this saying, yes, we can. But very often it does not lead to a good end if simply someone is telling you, yes, we can. So it's a noble motto, but it's not achievable in deathmatch projects. The key point in deathmatch projects, however, is that you have not only requirements unfulfilled, but they will never be realized. So think about that. There might be requirements you think about, and they might be sexy. We might be, uh, yeah, it might be really, um, you, you might be keen on to realize, realize these, these features, but finally, these are requirements which will never be fulfilled. We will never be realized. And if you are following following this 80-20 approach, this is pretty much fine. So if you find the key points, but you have to implement the right 20%. And very often there is a strong discussion about what are the right 20%. So let's come back to the triage. If you are in place, in, if you are placed in charge from the outside, so if you are um, externally hired or also internally hired project manager, which comes at the very end to uh, to a deathmatch project, so you simply face it and you should fix it. You have a very strong position, so you can simply order the triage, or you can do it with a focus on take it or leave it. So simply, the guys could either follow your approach or they don't follow your approach. And if you do the triage, so let's come to the effective doing, you need to separate all the requirements into three major categories. These are, first, it's things which must be done. Yeah, so absolutely mandatory that we are done. Then second, the second category, there are things which should be done. It's very good to have them. It will be absolutely helpful, but we are not essential. And then in the third category, we have the could-do things. It will be very nice to have it, and it's very likely that we will uh, gain some benefit out of it, but we are neither essential nor are we in some way effective that it is really needed to have them. So it's a very nice thing to have. And the already mentioned sexy things, these are the, uh, the, the parts which are belonging to the could-do category. So, and we, what's one thing you can do for the, for the triage? You have to separate these things very, in a very particular way, in a very dedicated way to sort that out. And you will see there will be a lot of stakeholders which do not agree with your proposals. We will come to that in the, in the next step. 
directly. So, and then we have also two options you can choose in facing the triage or doing the triage. Is one thing is the separation of the categories, and the second one is doing renegotiation. So, as mentioned in the last episode already, you can renegotiate the deadline, and you can also renegotiate the system requirements. Not everything which is in the category must do is really something which must be done. And it's a very dynamic approach, a very, yeah, you can think of that you are a surgeon and you have to dis distinguish, we have to determine and you also have to decide which patient is treated at that moment. And therefore, you should have a good overview about the details of the project, which what, what is effectively needed, what do we essentially have, need to have in the project when it comes to an end, and also what are the, the real requirements. And that's exactly what we, we now come to the second thing. In episode 38, I have had the interview with Joachim Reinke about requirements engineering. You remember that. And the triage process does not provide an organized way to manage requirements. Yeah, it's as mentioned, the triage is simply doing a separation in must, should, could, and it's a very strict way to do it but it's no way to manage the requirements. So everything is, looks like it's on a big pile and you need to sort it out. It's, it, it might happen that you are in the front of several hundred of pages of paper about requirements and you don't know where to start from. And therefore, you should have, if you are jumping into the DevMatch project, besides the triage, you should already start, if it's not already available, to have a successful and sufficient requirements management uh, uh, be available or be established. Because you can sort out much more quicker and you are much more reliable what is effectively needed from, from your project, from the outcome of the project. So there is a static and a dynamic part of requirements management and both are essential. So you should take care of that. And if you come, if you come together or if you put together the triage and the requirements management, you will regularly find four different dilemmas. <laughs> and the first one is what I have already mentioned, the 80-20. Very often you face in the DevMatch projects, if you start the triage and you have a requirements management in place, so you can move around the requirements, you see the implications, you see the, the sequences, you see what's going on, but now you have to distinguish between must do, should do, could do, and suddenly you remark, oh, there are 80% of the requirements are prioritized. So how does that come? And if you have a look at regular projects, you see that it looks like that 80% very often it's 80, sometimes it's even more, 80% of the requirements are really effectively prioritized. So there are shareholders behind, well, for example, with, with timing conditions or with, uh, uh, with resource limitations, and there are stakeholders behind marketing sales who have sold something to the customer and now we want to fulfill it. Or they also want to over-fulfill it because we have somehow overcommitted the whole, uh, the whole stuff. And this is something, it, this becomes a dilemma at that point because now you, you do not effectively know which one could be cut it off, which one could be put aside without any harm. It looks like everybody is equally important. That's not true. You know that. If you run into a problem with your car, for example, and then you have to decide. You, if, 
you want to go to holiday. Let, let's have an example. You want to go to holiday, and uh, your car, it, it's well-prepared. It looks like it's well-prepared. And one day before you start, the car breaks somehow. The ignition is not working, or it's not driving fast enough, or something like that. It's simply broken. And then you went to the garage, and they tell you, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the maintenance might last something like four or five days. I said, oh, no, I don't have these days. What can you do effectively in one day, today? And when we say, yeah, we can, maybe we can fix the motor, but we also can fix the climate control, or we can fix the air condition, or we can fix the the, uh, the driving chassis, or we can fix the brakes, or whatever. And it looks like it's a multiple brake, so you, you might your car might be not that in, in not that good fashion as you have imagined before. So, and then suddenly you have to decide. It's exactly this triage situation. What is effectively needed? to drive into your holiday. First of all, I would say, I could cut, cut away, it's really ugly, but the air condition, that's not needed. You can open the windows or you can close the windows. That's it. So the windows should be functional, but not necessarily the air condition. Uh, that might be really ugly driving to uh, to some southern countries, in, uh, at least from Europe's perspective, where it, it becomes really hot. And even in Germany, it's nowadays it's really hot. So, um, it's, it's not that pleasurable. But on the other side, without the motor, your car will not even leave the garage. And therefore, motor is essential, engine is essential, and uh, of course, also the brakes are essential, and maybe steering and so on. That, that's but these are the basics. And everything after it comes after that. So it's, maybe it's a should have to, to have the air condition again on board. And it could do that might be something like that, you, that the trunk might be openable or not. So you could also use the whole the whole luggage in the in the regular sitting room, if the trunk is not usable, and you see you you can manage that. But then if you suddenly have some uh, some youngsters, if you have some teenagers on board, yeah, and we are complaining, I want to use that big trunk with me. It's essential because all my clothes are inside. Then you run into a problem, and then suddenly the the availability of the trunk becomes. 80% or becomes a part of the 80% of requirements which are important. And you see, and then you have to go very precisely into the details and see what are the intentions of the shareholders, what are the intentions of the stakeholders. And for example, also the garage maintainer or the garage owner uh, might tell you, yeah, if I do that, it becomes more more expensive and so on. And suddenly someone else is uh, is getting some smell of a chance to, to gain some more money out of your pockets and this is something yeah you also have to keep in mind so that means that 80% of the requirements are prioritized is some regular dilemma you write, run into if you run the triage in the deathmatch project what are other things there might be change circumstances in the project what does it mean it's change circumstances simply mean there might be some some, very often you observe some kind of attrition. So guys will leave. The moment we observe, oh, this is a deathmatch project, we will jump off, not regularly through the window, that's also some, okay, that's not no opportunity, but uh, but we will leave the project sooner, uh, more sooner than later, and to simply to get rid of, 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 of the whole trouble. And therefore, you suddenly have to work with things like you 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 get a you get a, a some note on your on your desktop saying that the two major the two major engineers who have developed the core part of your project uh, will leave in two weeks. 
because we have four weeks of holiday uh, emptying and therefore the regular six weeks will be dropped to two weeks. And when you are in a real big trouble, when you have to deal with that and say, okay, how can I do that? I, I want to, I want, I need two additional persons. Do I effectively really need two persons? What can I do with the remaining ones? How can I shift uh, working packages? How can I manage that all? So the circumstances in the project might change. Then there might be also change circumstances outside the project. Very often we observe cut it budget. Budget. Yeah, the budget is simply cut it in, I don't want to say in half, but it's severely reduced. But the milestones are not changed, the requirements are not changed, and also the end package is not changed. So something like really something which is uh, dramatic at that point. The other thing might might change from the outside is that our deadlines moved. This is if they are moved in the in the in the direction of uh, that is prolongated. Okay, but when we do not have any kind of problem. Besides the fact the requirements are doubled, so we have again the, the, the problem. But if they are moved towards of your of your current date, when you are in the big trouble, and when you have to deal with that, because then you have to make maybe the right triage again with some other with with some other requirements in mind, and then there might be the situation that even you have done a very strict must do categorization, but we will not even be capable to manage the must-dos so there is some kind of it's still too much we can we can't manage that and when you have to go in a very hard-nosed re-evaluation you have to go really deep inside of that and cut out everything which is effectively not needed and there if you ever have seen some kind of emergency room uh, series when you always see how the how the how the medicines are working with a severely endangered person so even if we have broken bones we don't care for it because it's essentially not needed to survive maybe the the body itself the heart and uh, and the whole circulation is essential to survive and therefore we treat that and only that and if your heart stands still then this becomes the most important thing and therefore you have to Keep in mind that a hard-nosed re-evaluation is really concentrating definitely on the essential parts, on the real essential parts. And you also can manage must-dos. Very often we are, I don't want to say we are managed by themselves, but it's something like what you, with some time distance, the perspective changes and the goals might change too. Very often I have observed that in one week it's that important to do all these things. It's very, very important. And then there is a weekend in between and we've got some kind of relaxation and, okay, we have refocused things and suddenly it's a little bit relaxed then afterwards. And then you can say, what is effectively now needed? How is the situation today? Very often in these DEFMARCH projects you have to re-evaluate your situation very often. It might change from hour to hour. And if there is some, let's imagine something like you have a very important project which which comes to its end or it's it's it looks like it fails, and then suddenly the stock prices of your company are dropping down severely due to some other affair, but suddenly it's something changing outside that is so severe that your project is no longer that important, and then things have changed. So. That might cause also some changes on your side. So you must have all your antennas in receive mode to see what's going on on the outside and on the inside of your project. Well, 
we have now coped with the concept of triage and the requirements management. What else is where in the processes to manage a death march project? It's first of all, no, we also have, no, it's the third, the third, we have also formal processes. Formal processes you have to deal with if you are standing in a, in a death march project. There might be the ISO standards, so ISO, ISO standards and similar formal and informal processes. For example, you have to fit for the ISO 9000 and you have to fulfill that. Yeah? Sometimes it will become very handsome in case of troubles because you have some kind of a mm, hard back coverage story. So the, the process itself, the formal process, gives you some kind of stability in your backside. You can rely on that because if the company is fulfilling that, you have things available like dates, like processes, like, uh, like mechanisms, like tools. Things are available. Or you might observe things like a code evaluation. There might be some tools or there might be some processes that, for example, for continuous integration, continuous build, you will have always an evaluation by a static code analysis, static fault analysis maybe, and uh, lint and, and, and things like that. And that, that gives some kind of reliability which relieves yourself your all other actions because you can rely on the output of that. But that also means that you have to, have to, uh, that you have to put it in place in, beforehand. Uh, talking about continuous integration, that's also some kind of formal process which is essential to have an automatic building and testing. Yeah, so that prevents waste of already done work. It's very important. It's, I have observed it several times in projects where the the guys build something. Where we, uh, I, I mean, we develop something, and then finally we, we build it all the time manually. And then suddenly it comes to the end, and we say, "Okay, we are ready to deliver." And then somebody says, uh, "Does the CI guys know what we are doing here?" And then, oops. And when the continuous indication guys come up and say, oh, to set up this whole job and all the resources we need, we need effectively something additional three to five days, maybe even two weeks if the hardware order lasts that long. And your whole schedule is gone at that moment. And therefore, you have to keep always in mind if you are doing this kind of death march project resolution, that Automatism must be taken into account beforehand, in front of the things, together with the original planning. I mean, we'll have changed my project's plan, my project plans that at the moment I write down what is effectively needed to, um, to realize a project, but I always have things inside like testing, building, uh, delivering, and also testing on the customer sites, putting into operation. That's all the things which are planned from the very beginning. Uh, that I want to give the guys also a chance to jump in at the right moment, not to be confronted with the whole more or less ready situation afterwards and when they run into a big problem. So that means for the formal processes, it's rather easy and rather handsome to follow existing processes. It gives you, it, you gain stability and you save time. In the beginning, I have mentioned that sometimes it's um, in the concept of triage that you are facing things that where are sexy things are implemented. Let's have a short look at what does good enough software effectively mean. 
So that means DevMarch projects versus perfect projects. Where does this, this idea from a perfect project come from? First of all, of course, uh, due to the requirements. We have an overwhelming amount of requirements. That's, that's one pace, phase. So it's not only that you, that you get one distinct feature be realized. No, there are tons of features which must be realized. They're absolutely essential to be realized. And the customer cannot live without that. And on the other side, we also have implementers. You have engineers who do not accept something which is not according to their internal understanding what's good enough. So very often you have some kind of nerds in, in your projects which put in everything they can think of and you, you are suddenly faced with new aspects of building system, with new aspects of how in C++ things need to be realized in Java, in JavaScript, whatsoever you can think of. And there are, there are some new approaches and very often seen that you have different kinds of approaches. The one does it like that and the other one does it like that. There are the, the Linux operating system developers, the hackers are confronted with the, with the tool builders, confronted with the, with the application developers confronted with the middleware application with the middleware um, developers and everybody is realizing something yeah stl versus boost things like that you understand and then you have a bigger resistance in the teams so it's uh, it's really ugly and sometimes it's even ridiculous if you see what's going on you see that the, that the project is facing the hard wall in front of them And the guys are discussing whether it's better to have STL or Boost inside. It's something where I say, hey, 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 guys. And then you have to be very precise and you have to show them the reality. How does it look like? And how it will go if there is no severe change, no significant change. And first, at that point, the guys will understand and will accept good enough. First, if their back is on the wall, they will understand, okay, I think I have to retreat a little bit from my high goals and maybe there is something else I can, we can do. And that's also, that's also uh, the kind for, for management or marketing or sales or whoever is involved here. They very often do not accept good enough software, something like, I cannot sell it to the customer, the customer will not accept. I don't think so. Very often customers will simply, uh, will simply accept something on a very long step of a journey. The problem is that very often the customer is sold something which is ready-made. But as we all know, uh, software is regularly not finished in some way. You will always have some faults inside and meanwhile also the customers know that. So they will be regularly very astonished if you tell them we will be ready-made with all the things. So they would be very, very happy if, they could, if you could provide them a very early, some kind of pre-prototype which gives some kind of functionality, but they get some kind of impression with all the limitations. And then they see, ah, it's going that direction. And then they, 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 can, they can cope with that. They can align with it. They can modify it. They can control it in some way and give you feedback. Instead of having one final big bang delivery, which will relieve your pressure, but on the other side, will confront the customer with something which might have ne never been ordered or which have not been accepted. So there is a good chance that uh, good enough software for the customer could be aligned with the customer. But very often, you first need to have a direct connection 
between the engineers, between the technical persons on the customer side with the technical persons in your company, but you get a clear understanding what do you effectively want. It was also it was always a kind of eye opener if I come into close direct uh, connection with with the customer directly. Where we have some some technical person and we are asking them, why do you need this VPN tunnel at that point? We cannot establish at, at that point because we don't have the IP tables rules set appropriately. And then they told us what we want to do with that. And then, hey, what about you can do it that way? And then, oh, that, that we don't have thought about that. But it seems to be feasible. Might that be, might that, yeah, we can assist you, no problem. And when they got a solution for the problem and we could continue with our investigation. So it was not that big trouble afterwards. For deathmatch projects, users regularly want that the system is cheap enough, fast enough, feature-rich enough, stable enough, and available soon enough. That's their kind of definition. And you only have to fulfill that. You See, good enough software means not that you deliver the final stage, but you need to deliver something which is cheap, fast, feature-rich, stable, and available soon enough. And very often the last one is the most important one. It should be available at some time with all the limitations. So limitations are very often not that problem, but the availability is the problem. How can we achieve this kind of good software now? So I think there is one case is some kind of using some kind of evolutionary strategy. Yeah, okay, it The, you, you have to use some kind of, of, of agile approach, whether it's done via Lean or Scrum or whatsoever. It needs to be, you need to have something which is adaptable over the time. Very often you need, as a second point, to get good enough software, some kind of heroic teams, teams which are capable to do this kind of things. We have already discussed in the last episode with the people where how to get this kind of people into your project and you need them for sure. And First, how to achieve good enough software is that you personally have a dynamic infrastructure. That means that you have a management, most of all, that means that you have a management which decides and allows the project to win. Very often, I have the impression that the highest management is not even willing that the project succeeds. We are putting obstacles in front of us which are really ridiculous at some time. And we are thinking, are we now uh, supporting us or are we against of us? And this is the essential point. You need some kind of dynamic, some kind of dynamics inside of your company which will manage the new situation. So we have had four aspects for the processes. So the concept of triage, the requirements management, the formal processes, and finally the discussion about good enough software. Let's Focus now on tools. What kind of tools are preferable? I personally prefer several tools, which I want to just present to you, only the ideas of tools, not necessarily the products itself. So first of all, you very often and you regularly need some kind of a tool for gathering knowledge and sharing knowledge. Okay, if you are talking about sharing knowledge, first thing comes into your mind is a wiki. Wiki pages are very sufficient to gather knowledge and share. And please, take into account that you always have to gather the knowledge from the very beginning. If you if you are already running since weeks, it's a pain to 
collect all the details again and put them into a wiki. It's like a, a penalty if you have to do that. And therefore, do it in time. Do it in parallel. Choose one wiki, whatever you have available, even if it's locally. Simply do it that you have it available and can share afterwards to the guys. And also, maybe you, you want to have some kind of history of what has done. Also, wiki might be preferable. Then, about gathering of knowledge. My favorite are mind maps. I've already mentioned in episode 35 how to tweak with mind maps and to get the best out of, out of this kind of, um, of graphical representation of knowledge. Very good to use and yeah, share and take, take the preferred one you have in mind and give it a try and look what's going on because it becomes a tool. You don't have, you don't, there is no need to think about the usage of the tool. You need to use it and therefore you have to become familiar with it beforehand. And one second point for the tools is scheduling. You very often have the demand in DevMarch projects that you get some kind of schedule. And this kind of schedule, of course, you can use whatever you have at that moment. Might be feasible or might not. I regularly prefer to have a Kanban board in place. If you are using Scrum or if you are having some agile tools, fine for you. Look for a Kanban board because then you can you can show very publicly how uh, how workloads is distributed and how things are organized. I personally have a personal Kanban board for my own affairs. It's Trello, and uh, I use it for to, to organize my own my own stuff. And if I then need something for an extraordinary product, I I'm already familiar with the usage and I simply can open a new board and start. And that's also the point you should become familiar with. Have your own tools at your fingertips and be, uh, be comfortable with them. So you can, uh, using such kind of tools, you, you can do it also, for example, with Evernote, if you are familiar, familiar with that, or with Basecamp or whatever is, uh, is available for you. But try it before. You should have tried it before you first time use it. Even if you try it by yourself or give give some of your bodies a chance and then say, okay, let, let's go and see how can we manage that. You can share details with others and you also can integrate these kind of tools into your regular operation. For example, mailing or requirements engineering or whatsoever. It's a very handsome tool which improves and, and um, speeds up all your kind of actions in project management. And then there is the third item for the tools. That's interaction. So we have had knowledge gathering and sharing, schedule and now interaction. First of all, which comes into my mind is a chatting tool. Nowadays, uh, every meeting tool has also a chat possibility. So, okay, but they are very often not sufficient. I detected, for example, that there are the groups and the discussions you have formed inside of the groups, you have composed inside of the groups, are not persistent. But guys, what does it make any what kind what kind of sense does it make in such cases? You you are you are discussing with your guys and then finally you shut down your system and when it's gone, that's ridiculous. So it's the only way a chat tool should work is that everything you have discussed inside is persistent. You can get a you can grab you can touch it you can store it whatsoever is feasible for you but you should be able to get back on it in some way so have a look on if you are looking for chat tools that we have this possibility 
very often you can rely on discussions on a one-on-one -on -one base. So you have discussed with some particular person and then this kind of discussion is still in the history of the tool. But what about the group discussion? This is something which makes really uh, the, the whole story very interesting. It's therefore, that's the reason I regularly prefer the IRC, the quite good old internet, internet relay chat, which simply gives me the possibility to store all the discussions on the server, a server which I have set up by myself, and every details are available there. So I have a chat room, I have different chat rooms, and I can and everybody can subscribe to it, can log in whatsoever. You can you can also ensure the thing it SSL transfer is no problem. So do it that way and find a chatting tool which uh, which satisfy this kind of need. And I'm 100% sure you guys will come back on the discussion from two days ago. And if you then don't find it, it's such a pain. Therefore, chat tool, absolutely essential, especially nowadays with all the distributed teams online. You should come into the touch with the guys also by chat. Because chatting always means it's some kind in between a phone call, a direct disturption of you and the email which you should go rid of anyway because this is the, okay if you want to inform your boss about the status maybe it's it's some way to do it by mail but even there it's be, it's much more better to do it a different way otherwise you are lost in your inbox and therefore chat tools are much more preferable second point which is essential for interaction if you have discussions, if you have documents, if you have pictures, if you have things you want to store permanently, when you want or you want to forward to some person, when you should have some kind of file share, a file share which is really big enough, big enough in a matter of that you can store not only a few Word documents, but you can simply put some some uh, some stuff on it, yeah, some some really big stuff, and that everybody else can rely to it and download it and work with it. So it's an interchanging tool. But guys, keep in mind, not every file share, not every cloud service might be sufficient for your company's needs. There might be policy, data, data security policies or confidential policies, which will prevent you from using Google Drive, uh, Evernote, OneNote, whatever, Dropbox, whatever is out there, which might be free and you already have installed on your personal system might be not sufficient for your company. And therefore, clarify that beforehand. Maybe you have to set up your own cloud service. Why not? Yeah, so own cloud, <laughs> even, of course, in bigger circumstances with a bigger environment or something else might be sufficient for you. And I don't mean to have a regular repository installed, but a regular file share you can access again from all the different devices which might be in use. And another aspect of file shares is, please, please, no automatic cleaning of content. I have sometimes observed after two weeks, we, we make some kind of vaporization of the, of the files on the, on the file share, and suddenly all your details are gone, simply because we say, okay, it was only a lifetime of two, of two weeks, and uh, it has gone now. And it's something I have, I have some file shares. I have to put every two or three weeks, I have to put on the details again onto the file share because I have not updated in between because there is a need to update. I only want to provide the files. 
So that's that's ridiculous. So what you what you could have or what you should have is a quota, that not everybody is filling that not anybody is filling up the whole file share with his own crap. So and where if you if you are exceeding if you are scrapping the the the, the borders of your of your quota, you should simply be yeah you should be urged to remove something of your own part. Then it's fine. It's pretty much fine to do it that way. But no, automatically that's ridiculous. And therefore also. Uh, keep in mind nowadays the bring your own device strategy is all uh, all over available and therefore uh, file shares should be accessible from all OSs in use. So if there is only the slightest chance that somebody is accessing the file share from a different operating system, from a different um, device, when you can imagine that, have that into account, take that into account. So it should be easily accessible also from devices which are not part of your company directly. For example, you have uh, you don't have officially available all the tablets or you don't have officially available Android or iOS. It doesn't matter. If there is a bring-your-own-device strategy, it might be possible that the guys will access. And then if they have the possibility to access maybe via a VPN tunnel, then it's essential that it's possible to access that. And of course... Uh, it should not even be uh, worth to mention it explicitly, but you need to have a high network bandwidth. It should be sufficient that it's not dropping in uh, bit by bit. It should be faster. Okay, then a third point in the interaction are the meeting tools. Meeting tools is something like, I imagine, um, phone tools, so have a phone conference or have also video conferences. And from my perspective, there is only one and only requirement. These kind of tools must be rock stable. They must be so rock solid all the time. They should be available 24-7. How often do I have observed that I wanted to make a phone call somewhere on Saturday or Sunday even, and then say, yeah, sorry, we are from maintenance, please try again on Monday. Hey, what's not sufficient? What, what shall I do then? I, I need to have this kind of discussion and it should be available worldwide if I have a company who is operating in this international context. And therefore, it should be integrated, it should be easy to use and rock stable. Last not least, in the interaction part, there is also the request to have a, some kind of document management system. Besides the wiki, besides the, the scheduling tools, Kanban boards, etc., you also will have to store some dedicated documents in some way, whatever, and somebody else can uh, can achieve them. And uh, it should be also versioned. So you should have a versioning system. And not everybody wants to put his Word documents into a Git repository. And therefore, you should have a dedicated document management system. Whatever there is, there are tons of them out there. The only request I have here, please, it should be simple to use and it should be fast, fast and even faster. Yeah, So consistency is regular, but the speed is... Some, some, some of these tools are so snoring slow, it's unbelievable. And then it does not really make any pleasure to use them. And what the guys do is we put the, the documents onto the file share. And here we are hit by the twi two weeks vaporization you see that's the problem well let's come to the end as i have mentioned in the very first part of this mini series about deathmatch projects deathmatch projects are very often inevitable there are terms actions receipts and ideas how to cope with them 
And as a DevMarch project manager, you should be familiar with all aspects of it. You should have a basic knowledge about DevMarch projects. You should know to you should know how to detect them. You should know how the people in a DevMarch project work and how we operate and how we feel and how we are um, yeah, situated. And you need to have done your own decision whether you stay or leave in a particular DevMarch project. And then if you have made this decision and you stay, then you have to maintain the DevMarch project regularly by a combination of three different aspects. The first one is handled in episode 39, that's the negotiation techniques, games, trade-offs, strategies. In episode 40, we discussed about the second aspect that were people were, so the intentions, the roles, the characters, and team building. And now, today, in this episode, we have handled the third aspect, that are processes and tools, processes you should know for sure, and you should have your own personal tool set in mind. You appear on the stage the moment a DevMarch project starts. You should have your tools ready at your fingertips. This was the third and the last episode about how to survive DevMarch projects in this mini-series. Of course, there would be tons of additional aspects and things which needed to be said. However, I do not want to overstress your patience. By the way, if you want to come closer in touch with all kinds of project management, there are two podcasts I wanted to recommend to you. First of all, it's Andy Kaufman People and Projects podcast. And second, Cornelius Fichtner, the Project Management Podcast. Both of them are in my regular listeners list and I have subscribed, subscribed to them. It's awesome what the guys provide. This is something I wanted to recommend to you. For you, it's up to you now to decide whether this kind of format I have presented to you with this mini-series is something which needs, uh, which satisfies your needs and also your demands. So please give me some kind of a feedback. Uh, are, is, was it sufficient for you? Was it, was it helpful? Was it something like you said, oh no, it was far too long? Or, no, I want to hear, hear more about that. I'm really keen on getting, getting into touch with that. What are your requirements? What are you, your thoughts about that? So, and also, what kind of challenges do you have personally experienced with uh, DevMarch projects? What are, and what are your preferred approaches to maintain it and to find a way out? So give me your feedback. Drop me a note. Reach out to me on any of the social channels. All connections are available on the website embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 41. Also, the, the show notes are where as regular. This was the concluding 41st episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Lohrer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>